going to go ahead and we're going to go ahead and start diving into God's word. Uh, I, I do want to encourage you uh, not to end the fellowship, but to join us for a meal uh, right after this morning. But as we turn our attention to the word of God, I want to encourage you to grab your Bibles. Let's go to Psalm chapter 42 together. You know, Christmas time is a time of worship, a time of celebration. Uh, it's, it's a time where most of the time uh, people get along a little bit better. Uh, I don't know if it's the, the lights or the trees or the ornaments or whatever. But it is often a, a time of joy and celebration, but I think we also have to acknowledge that sometimes Christmas is hard. For some people, they're suffering today. They're looking, and while many of us are going, hey, nine days till Christmas, woohoo! Some are going, oh, it's nine days to Christmas. Because Christmas carries with it various feelings for various people. I remember growing up, you know, I mean, it was always a great time of fun and, and excitement. And I guess uh, I, I just want to be honest with you, presents were always fun. You know, parents go to bed at 2, we'd pop up at 4. Um, but as I've gotten older, Christmas, you know, honestly becomes a little bit more stressful. There are bills to pay, presents to buy, places to go, people to see, and, and even people that I no longer get to see, but man, I wish I could see them just one more time. I remember Christmases of past thinking about, you know, I've got all the time in the world, and everybody around me, man, they're always going to be here, but now I look at the, the table at Thanksgiving and Christmas, and I see more empty seats of people who used to be there. You can't help but feel just a little bit of sadness. And so sometimes Christmas isn't the most joyous time of year. Sometimes it's the most disheartening. Of course, for some people, when you get to Christmas, it means that you're a week away from a new year starting. And that means it's time to set goals for 2019. And I, I am a goal setter. I typically like to set very lofty goals that I'm going to have to work really hard at and, and things of, of that nature. Uh, but then as Christmas comes back around, you realize that the only thing that changed over the course of the year is the day on the calendar. And, and so maybe a little disillusionment begins to set in. First, you, you were kind of in despair because uh, your heart's hurting because... Uh, of things that have happened in life, uh, but now you're kind of disillusioned because you're thinking to yourself, is this really all there is to life? I mean, is, is pain, suffering, despair, disappointment, is that really all there is to this, this life? And, you know, we got to be really honest that, that these thoughts happen in the minds of Christians as much as they happen in the mind of non-believers, and so there's a good chance the majority of you here this morning have felt in one of those uh, ways over the last year or so. Doubt, 
disillusionment, despair, frustration, all of these things going on. Is, is there a better way? Is there something more to this life than just simply living it and waiting to, to die? Well, I want to submit to you that this morning it is, that there is something far greater to life than what you and I, even as Christians, often experience. Because a lot of times as Christians, we're just kind of going along. So my proposition to you this morning is going to be this, that you and I need to recognize destructive thoughts. We need to remember where they came from, and then we need to seek the Lord's help through prayer, through praise, and through worship to remind us of why we're here. The one big thing this morning is going to be this, that when you feel down, you need to remind yourself, you need to remember who God is. So let's look at it together. Psalm 42, I'm going to begin in verse 1. I'm going to ask you if you're able, would you stand as we read and honor the reading of God's word. It says, As the heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after you, thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my meat day and night, while they continually say unto me, Where is thy God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me. For I had gone with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise. With the multitude that kept holy day. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Father, we praise you for your word, and we praise you for this time of year. But God, every day that you give us, as we were reminded earlier this morning, Psalm 118, 24 tells us that this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Father, we acknowledge that sometimes it's hard to be joyful because of life. God, would you just remind us? Would you give us a fresh vision of who you are? Would you restore to us this morning the joy of our salvation as we study your word? In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. When you feel down, we need to remind ourselves of who God is. It's the one big thing this morning. Now, We've heard the saying, in everyone's life, a little rain must fall. Sometimes it seems like it falls a little bit harder in life, doesn't it? It seems like it's just one thing after another, after another. You, you get up from one wave knocking you down. Before you ever get to your feet, here's another wave knocking you down. What do we do in these times? How can we live joyfully when the world's trying to suck the very joy out of our life. Well, I want to suggest three things that our text would show us when we are feeling down this, and just feeling in despair or disillusion. The first one would be this, that remember that trials are a part of everyone's life. Now, most likely, your Bible has a, a little title above Psalm uh, 42. It probably says Book 2, and then a little inscription that says, To the Chief Musician, Maskil, uh, for the sons of Korda. Now that word, maskil, is kind of important, uh, but we don't really talk about it much. So what does it mean? Well, a maskil is a writing that focuses on giving instruction 
and practical wisdom. So literally, Psalm 42 is the psalmist writing for people to learn how to handle a situation that he had himself been in. In other words, the psalmist is writing to encourage people to know how to handle difficult times in life. And so, we don't really know what caused this despair or, I mean, even really, we can use the word depression. I know that's not exactly the the word that gets thrown around in most Christian circles, uh, but I think it needs to. I think we we need to understand Uh, mental illness, and things of that nature. So we don't really know why the psalmist was down and what events led to this, but we can see just the depths of despair in verse 3. Look at what he says. My tears have been my meat day and night. In other words, I have been so distressed and in despair, I've been so down that I can't even eat. Like, it's just one thing after another, just taking it down. And and then we get maybe a little bit of a clue in the end of verse 3. When it says, while they continually say unto me, where is thy God? You know, nothing causes us to question the goodness and the sovereignty of God like suffering. It's easy to praise God when things are going good. But when life inevitably hits us, we are tempted to ask this question, why? If God is good, why did he allow that to happen? If God loves me, why did he let that person die? We ask these questions. It's really what the psalmist is getting at here in Psalm 42. And we understand, you know, especially around the time of a national tragedy. You know, you think back uh, to 9-11. You know, a lot of people are going, well, where's God? The next Sunday, you know, churches were full. And they stayed that way for about two to three weeks, maybe a month. And then life went back to to normal. And there's probably been times in your life that's kind of been the exact same. Like something happened, you ask why God or where's God and and all that. But then over time, things just kind of went back to the way they were. Now, we don't know exactly what was going on when this psalm is written But we can relate to that question because we have all wondered at one time or another, where is God in all of this? What is happening? You know, I I think back and I shared a little bit uh, in Sunday school. This time last year, our family was walking through two of what I would say the two most difficult things we've ever walked through. And I mean, there were times I was just sitting there uh, alone going, God, have I done something that has made you so angry at me that you just poured out your wrath on us? Have you ever felt that way? Like, God's just mad at you and he's taking it out on you? Man, we got to know where that comes from. That That doesn't come from God. That comes from Satan. See, God is a good God who is loving and gracious and merciful. Yes, he is holy and he is just. But God is not sitting up in heaven waiting on you and I to mess up so he can take us out. All right, so so we need to recognize this because this is what Satan loves to do. Satan loves to make us feel isolated. 
like nobody else can possibly understand what we're going through. Satan loved to plant that thought in our mind that I can't go anywhere, including to my church family, and tell them what I'm really thinking because they're going to think less of me. And so I sit and I suffer in silence, in solitude. I want you to know that's from Satan. It's not from God, church. He loves, Satan loves to lead us to believe that nobody could possibly understand what we're feeling. And when those thoughts come, we need to realize that suffering is a part of everyone's life. Whether you are a believer in Jesus Christ or not, suffering is part of life. And there's two reasons. First, sometimes God is simply allowing us to experience the consequences of our poor, sinful choices. You know, if I was to say the word judgment of God, most likely most of you would think Sodom and Gomorrah, the ark, 9-11, other terrorist attacks, things like that. That's, we are pre-programmed to think judgment of God is this big national ordeal. I'm convinced that the number one way that God allows judgment into the lives of people is to simply allow them to experience the consequences of their own sinful choices. You know where I get that from? Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, Paul is is recounting how he said, though they knew God, they didn't glorify him or worship him as God. They rejected him, but professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. In, In other words, God goes, you know what? One of the biggest forms of judgment that I can unleash on the people is simply going, you want it, you got it. How many of the problems that you and I face in our life of our own making? I got to be really honest. Most of my problems are me. Like my biggest enemy is the inner me. And so sometimes God's just allowing us to experience the consequences of our decisions. But there's often a second reason that suffering happens in life. And that's this. We live in a fallen, broken world. Yeah, we know that God created everything perfectly. It was so perfect that at the end of Genesis chapter 1, it says that God looked out over everything he had created, and he said, behold, it is very good. It is perfection. And then in one fail swoop, one act of intentional rebellion by Adam and Eve, all of the world was instantly turned upside down and thrown into chaos. And you and I make the same choices they do. So the chaos is continuous. Over and over and over. We know that the world that you and I are living in right now, this isn't that perfect world that God created and begun. It is the result of the acts of rebellion that those created in God's image have chosen to do. Sometimes bad things happen simply because we live in a fallen world. And that that might seem to like really get you down. But I I want to encourage you to read Psalm 34 verses 15 to 18 sometime this week to remind you of this. While trials will happen to both saved and unsaved people, the outcome is different for a saved person. 
See, here's the difference. If you are a child of God this morning, there is nothing that can happen to you in this life that will change how your story ends. Nothing can happen to you that will take you out of the grace of God that will eventually lead you to the glory of God. That's reason to celebrate. And so remind yourself that when you are down and feeling in despair, when life is knocking you down, just remember this, that that baby born in Bethlehem became the Lamb of God slain at Calvary, risen on the third day so that I could be forgiven and be his child. And Satan can't touch that. Rejoice in that. But there's a possibility, I would even say a probability, that there are some of you here this morning that have never trusted in the grace of God. You've never surrendered your heart to the gospel. And unless something changes, your story's not going to end well. So what do you do with the pain and the despair of life Allow it to point you to your need for Jesus. See, everything that's allowing you to experience right now is because he loves you. Because he wants a relationship with you. He proved how much he loved you. He died for you when you were wicked and rebellious and you didn't care anything about God. And so he is allowing these things into your life because he's wanting to point you to your need for him. God wants you to have that same joy that every Christian in here has that says, you know what? I can get cancer today. I can die tomorrow. And it is still well with my soul because I had this blessed assurance. This is what God wants you to experience this Christmas season. Which leads to the second point this morning. It's already up there for you, and it is this. Remember who God is. You know, so often when you and I get down and we're feeling distressed and in despair, it's because we have forgotten who God is. We have taken our eyes off of Jesus, and instead we have chosen to look at our circumstances. We, we choose to go, oh, wow, this is such a big deal. Uh, I don't know what I'm going to do. We're, we're running around like little spiritual chicken littles. The sky is falling, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. God's going, no, it's not. I'm holding it up, man. It's okay. The psalmist reminds us in verse 2 that God is alive. He is a living God. You and I, we're not praying to some dead God. We're not praying to a God who can't hear us or who can't see or who can't save. No, 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 no. Our God, he is alive and he is ruling and reigning from his throne in heaven. He is the creator and the sustainer of all things. He is a sovereign God who is in control of all things at all times. That when you and I pray to the God of the Bible, we are praying to the only person who can change our circumstances and our life. We need to remember that God is alive. We need to understand that God is our provider. That he provides for us physically. You know, when you and I pray we're demonstrating our faith in God going, Lord, I need something that only you can meet. 
That's why you've heard me say many times that the things that you and I pray about are the things that we trust Jesus for, but the things that we don't pray about, those are the things that we're trusting us for. So I just want to drop a question on you here. Are you praying and trusting God for more or yourself for more? God knows what we need and he's promised to provide it in the right time and in the right way. But God is also our spiritual provider. See, the glory of Christmas is that God looked down from before the foundation of the world and he saw Adam and Eve's rebellion and he saw our rebellion. He knew that we had a need to be saved from our sin. And God looked down through the corridors of time and he knew that you and I could never, never, never be good enough to erase our sin debt. And so as a spiritual provider, as a good father, in the fullness of time, he provided a substitute to die in our place. And I want to ask you a question that if God has met your biggest need in life, then why is it that you struggle to trust him for every other need? Not only is God your provider, God is your protector. See, people may come at you. They may lie about you. They may threaten you. But our God is bigger than any circumstance and any person that we're ever going to come against. So tell me, what is impossible for our God? If he can cause his son to be born of a virgin to live a sinless life, to die on the cross and on the third day to rise from the grave, then I want you to tell me this morning, what can God not do? What is it in your life that you're going, yeah, God can do all that, but he can't fix me? Come on. Come on. This is why the Apostle Paul says in Romans 8 that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us and that nothing is going to be able to separate us from the love of God. I want you to take heart this morning, church. You may be in a difficult time. You may feel spiritually down right now. But the God who created and sustained it all, he is walking right beside you. He is right, walking right with you. And he's never going to fail you. Remember who God which will then lead you to the next thing, which is we need to remember God's blessings. Verse 4 is so interesting to me. The, the psalmist says in verse 4 this, when I remember these things, what things was he talking about? Well, he was talking about remembering a time when he went to what you and I would call church. He remembers times when he was singing and praising God at the top of his lungs. And then verse 5 happened. And verse 5 starts out by saying, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why are ye in depressed? Why are ye in despair? Hope thou in God. See, the psalmist is trying to remember the days of verse 4 while he's in the middle of days of verse 5. He's trying to remind himself when everything has fallen down around him, when everyone has betrayed him, 
when everybody's run away from him, God's still there. And he's going to be okay. You know, I've learned it's possible to feel the loneliest in the middle of a crowd. And it really happens in in two specific ways in our lifetime. The first one is social media. You know some of the most unhappy people in all of America? People who have social media. You want to know why? This is a proven fact, by the way. You can go find every study done on it. Because the average person pulls up Instagram or Facebook, Twitter, whatever it is, and they're looking at all the photos of their supposed friends that, by the way, you couldn't stand in high school, but now you're my best friend on Facebook. Whatever. Um, So they're flipping through all those pictures, and on all those pictures, everybody's smiling and loving everybody. They're taking that exotic vacation and all this, and, and you're going that's not my life. You know, Friday night, they're out there and all these things and life's going great. My Friday night is I'm in sweats, a t-shirt, got a bag of Doritos, watching reruns of Blue Bloods. And and so you start to feel down in despair. Don't judge me. All right, You, you feel down because you're going, my life isn't as great as that. And so you, like Adam and Eve, back in the garden in Genesis 3, Believe the lie of Satan that God is withholding something good from you. And so you get down and despair. So you start to doubt the word of God and his love for you. So, social media. But, man, it happens at church too. This is how it happens at church. We have believed the lie of Satan that Christians are going to be happy all of the time. No worries, no stress, no strain, no struggle. I got my life together. That is the lie that Satan has told untold millions of believers who are sitting in church this very day. But there are people who are suffering. There are people who, when the church sings joy to the world, just a little joyless. And because we have believed the lie from Satan that nobody can possibly understand what I'm going through, we come into this building week after week and somebody inevitably comes up to us and says, man, I'm so happy to see you. How you doing? And because you believe the lie that Christians always have to be happy and have everything together, you lie. You say, I'm fine. You feel lonely in the middle of a crowd. I just wonder if, if, if you were just being honest, if just you and God right now, how many of you are right there? My, my guess, unscientific, would be eight out of ten of you. You've got the, the weight of the world on your shoulders. You're stressed out, you're strung out, you're struggling. And the worst thing is, you don't feel like you can tell anybody. 
But I want you to know this, church, that, that, that God gave the church as a gift to believers. That this is the one place when the rest of the world is trying to beat us down and separate us and divide us like it is, that the church is the one place that we can come in, that we can take off the masks that we so often wear, and we can just be genuine and go, you know what, man, my life is messed up and I need some help. I'm going to tell you right now, my, my vision for Westlake Baptist Church is very, very simple. That this will be a place that everybody and anybody can come in and they can know two things are inevitably going to happen. Number one, the people of Westlake are going to pray with them and for them. Number two, they're going to be encouraged by the word of God to be reminded of who God is. That's what we got to do. The, the practical wisdom is this. So often when we feel down in despair, guess what we want to do? We want to skip church. Because we don't want to be a liar. Like we know, hey, lying's like in, in one of God's top tens I shouldn't do. So rather than going and being genuine, I'm going to skip church. You know what the psalmist is saying? The psalmist is going, hey, when you feel down, come to church. Get around people who are praising Jesus, who are praying to Jesus, and be reminded of God and reminded of his blessings. It will change your outlook when you remember who God is. You will leave being reminded that God is bigger than your problems. It is God who is able to help you with your problems, and it is God who will be with you through your problems. So what do we do with this text? How can you and I leave this place and live it out? I want to suggest two things for you really quickly. First off, find hope in God. Every one of you here this morning has a God of your life. Somebody is ruling and reigning on the throne of your life right now. And it's either the one true God of the Bible or it's a false dead idol. You want to know how you can find out which one it is? See where you run when you suffer. That's going to tell you who you trust in him. You know one of the greatest encouragements of the Bible? The book of Job. Now you're looking at me like, what are you talking about? The book of Job reminds us of the two reactions that we can have to suffering in the world. Now, for those of you who may not be familiar with the book of Job, let me set the, the stage in, in 2018 terms really quickly. Uh, the Bible says that Job was a righteous man who loved and feared God. And God allowed Job to be tested. We don't know how long it took for all of it to happen. I, I would say it really doesn't matter. But in, in the course of time, Job lost what we would consider his business, so he lost his job. The stock market crashed and his 401k went bust, and they came and they repoed his camels. He lost it all. Now, if that's not bad enough, one day a uh, weather phenomenon, maybe a tornado, maybe something different, comes and levels the house where Job's 10 children are. And in the course of one day, his 10 children are now gone. 
So he's lost a job, has no retirement, his camel's got repoed, and now he's got to go bury his 10 kids. Now, if that's not bad enough, then all of a sudden he becomes sick. He has boils from the top of his head to the soles of his feet. He is in so much pain that dogs are coming and licking his sores. Sorry, I know this is right before lunch. Okay? All of this has happened. Now, let's be very, very fair right now. Because Job's wife has also suffered immensely. She has watched her husband lose his livelihood. She is bearing her children as well. She is watching the love of her life physically deteriorate before her very eyes. So let's be fair. But she represents one response to suffering. Because towards the end of that second chapter, she comes up to her husband and goes, you really still going to love God? Are you still going to praise him after everything you, that he allowed to happen to you? Man, Job, curse God and die. I wonder if, if we would just be honest and say, I understand that reaction. You've taken it and taken it and taken it and taken it. Day after day after day. And then that straw that breaks that proverbial camel's back. And you start to question the goodness and the love of God. We snap. We have that sinful reaction. And and listen, I know she was suffering, but she represents that sinful reaction that is inside of every one of us. That frustration. And now we contrast that with the wisdom that we see in Job here. And I'm going to tell you, the only way Job was able to respond this way is because God was in Job. Okay? But listen to what Job says. He says, will we indeed accept the good from God, but not also accept the adversity? Now, how in the world was Job able to say that? I'm going to tell you why. Number one, because Job was God's child. Number two, because Job loved God for who he was, not for what God could give Job. See, the reason so many people's faith is getting wrecked right now is this. You only love God for what he can give you. Man, my heart breaks for you. But I'm going to tell you, there's going to come a time in your life where God's going to allow everything to get pulled out from under you. Not because he's angry, but because he's a jealous God who will not share his glory with anyone else. He would rather you have a relationship with him and have nothing of value in this world than to allow you to have everything in this world except the one thing he died to provide for you. What's your hope in this morning? See, my hope is in this. My hope is in the one thing that this world can never take from me. My, my hope in this life is in the fact that Jesus died the death I should have died to give me the life that I don't deserve. 
And that's something that nobody else can take away. And folks, this, this is the hope of Christmas. The hope of Christmas is not the presents that are under the tree. The hope of Christmas is not the beautiful trees and the lights and the, the ornaments. The hope of Christmas is not even families getting together. The hope of Christmas is Jesus Christ stepping down from the glory of heaven to this broken world to die on the cross so that you and I could be forgiven. That's the message of hope this Christmas. This is what God wants us to have. The greatest present in the world was never placed under a tree. It was hung on the tree. Do you have that hope? Can your faith survive a cancer diagnosis? Can it survive the death of somebody close to you? Can it survive the very worst circumstances you can imagine? You can only do it if your hope is in God. If your hope's not in God, would you, would you surrender to that grace today? Would you understand that you have been rebelling against him, but in love he died for you? He's aware of what you've done. He's aware of what you're doing. He knows that you cannot out the grace of God. But you've got to turn to him in faith. You've got to take yourself off the throne of your life and allow the king of kings his rightful spot. Second, I would say this. Keep your eyes on Christ, not your circumstances. There's a great story in the New Testament. Uh, I've preached it a couple different times, a couple different ways. But the context of it is Jesus has been doing a, a day of ministry. He's fed a big crowd. He sent the crowd away, and he tells the disciples, get in the boat and start rowing to the other side. Now, these are experienced fishermen. They knew the, the sudden weather changes on the Sea of Galilee. So they get in the boat, and they start rowing to the other side. Jesus goes up on the mountain, and he's praying, and he's seeing everything that happens. And one of these storms comes up, and it is a particularly ferocious storm so much so these experienced fishermen they're losing their minds they're rowing and rowing and rowing they're not getting anywhere all of a sudden jesus comes down the mountain he's walking on the water and the disciples who are terrified rowing for their life see this uh thing coming at them they at first think it's a ghost until all of a sudden jesus goes be still do not be afraid it is i now, the storm's still happening. But Peter goes, ooh, I know who that is. Hey, Jesus, tell me to come to you. One word, Jesus sets out a whole other story. He just tells Peter, come. Peter gets down. He starts walking on the water, going to Jesus. The storm is still raging about. It hasn't gone away. But Peter is walking on the water. Things are going great. And then, Peter goes, That's a lot of waves. They look kind of angry. And I didn't take swim classes, so I might drown. And he starts to sink. Then he, he gets it back together. He looks up and goes, Lord, save me. And Jesus reaches his hand out and, and pulls him up and he gets him in the boat. And then he looks at Peter and goes, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? I wonder how many times God said that towards me. 
The simple answer of Peter's doubt is this. He started noticing the circumstances around him instead of the Christ he was walking to. Jesus never downplayed the, the storm. He didn't look at Peter and go, man, what's your problem? It's only a 15-foot swell. It's not that big of a deal. Come on. He just said, why didn't you trust me? See, sometimes you and I look to our left and we look to our right, but we forget to look up. And Psalm 121 tells us that I will look my eyes into the hills. Where does my help come from? It comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Sometimes we allow the wave of doubt or despair, the wave of debt, the wave of marital issues, the wave of wayward children, the wave of job problems and all these other waves, we start looking at them instead of focusing on the God who controls all of them. I'm not saying that you're not going to go through difficult times, but the fact of the matter, go back a few slides, you're going to see point number one this morning was trials are part of everyone's life. we got to stop being more afraid of our circumstances than faith in our Christ. Because again, he met our biggest need. If Jesus died to pay for the sins of the world, do you really think he can't put your marriage back together? Do you really think he can't get your child's attention and heart and bring them back to him? Do you really think that God can't find you that right job and that right circumstance? Do you really think that God can't do all of these things? If He can meet your need of a Savior, He can meet whatever other need you and I are going to face. So we've got to keep our faith and our eyes on Him. That's why the writer of Hebrews says, to lay aside the sin that so easily besets us, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. The same God that started you on this journey is the same God that will be with you in this journey and will bring you safely through this journey. The Bible says God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And so when you start feeling the weight of life and the doubts and despair, then recognize those are coming from the father of lies who is Satan and fix your eyes on Jesus and be reminded of who he is. And don't be afraid to reach out to a brother or sister in Christ and go, will you pray for me? Allow them to represent and picture Jesus in your life. God has given us a lot of blessings. Now we just got to remember them. And we got to thank the one who gave them to us. Would you stand with me as we're going to pray together? Father, as we move into the next portion of service,
God, I just want to say thank you. I just want to say thank you for who you are, God. You love me, and you love the people of the world, warts and all. God, you knew when you came to this earth what you were getting. You, you knew that you were going to die for rebellious people who would rather reject you and live life their way than to simply surrender to you. Oh God, we've heard how good you are. We've heard that, that your plan is for your glory and our good. But sometimes our fear outweighs our faith. Father, I thank you that where sin did abound, grace did abound much more. That there's not a single person here or in the world who can ever outsin your grace. That if they would simply acknowledge that they are a sinner and place all their faith, all their trust in you and what you did on that cross. God, we have the, the promise that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have the promise that you will remove our sins as far as the east is from the west. That we will go from an enemy of God who deserves the, the judgment to a child of God who you continuously pour out your blessings and spirit on. It's so a Father, I pray if there's someone here that needs to experience the hope of Christmas, God, today may it be that day. If there's someone here who needs to be reminded of the joy that can be found only in Jesus, Lord, I pray that they've heard it. And for those who are struggling, God, would you just help them to lay it down? Let us lay down every worry, every care, every concern we have so that we can lift our hands in praise of the sovereign God. Move in this place. Move in our hearts. Change our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing our invitation song. If you want to grab your hymnal, it's page 330. I encourage you, if you need to trust in Christ, if you need to lay something down, now's the time. Let's respond through worship.